I'm a baby boomer. And I'm Generation Y. I like to show dedication to my employer by working really long hours. I don't really feel like I need to work long hours as long as I get my work done. I'm excited when my workday starts. I'm excited when my workday ends. I like to have meetings in person. I prefer email or voicemail. I've worked hard to climb the corporate ladder. I should already be at the top of the ladder. I mean, I have a degree. I put in 60 hours at the office last week. I'm taking next month off to go hiking in Malaysia. I have a sense of entitlement. Oh, so do I. Hey. Hey. I like Maxwell House. Oh, I prefer Starbucks. I just got a Facebook account. Oh, Facebook, good for you. That is so 2009. <laughs> I like competition. I prefer collaboration. I've heard of that. Oh, now he doesn't know this, but I plan on getting his job when he retires. She doesn't know this, but I'm never going to retire. <laughs> Now, come on, we really need to work at getting along. See, there you go with work again. That's what I'm saying, you have no work ethic. Well, that's because to you, working a half day means you leave at five. You know what, you're right, we do need to try to get along. That's what I think. Okay, well, why don't we focus on what we admire about each other? Great. Well, if you think about it, your generation invented a lot of the technology we use. Yes, but for you, it just seems to come so easily. Well, only because we're practically playing video games in our cribs. Yes, that's true, you did have a different upbringing, though. My parents are still married to each other. Yes, self-esteem, we thought that was very important, so we tried to pump your generation full of it, which is why for everything you got a participation ribbon. You know, we could use a little more of that here at work. I mean, does anybody ever say, hey, thanks for coming to work on time, good job getting your work done? No, it's just like it's expected or something. It is by those of us with a work ethic. There you go again. Hi, I'm a baby boomer. And I'm Generation Y. And, and we're, we're Generation, Generation X, X, and we're stuck, stuck in the middle, middle of all of this. Um, I get the sense that it's striking a nerve. And so when you look around, we have a lot of intercultural conflict, but there's also an intergenerational conflict that is cross-cultural. We'll talk about that. And so, uh, I'd like to open with prayer, and I just want us to kind of journey through why do we have tensions, why do the churches uh, look so mixed, or typically, it's just a young church or just an old church, and what is a kingdom of God look like? So, let me just read to you verse 7 and 8 um, from Hebrews 13, and then we'll pray. Verse 7 and 8 from chapter, Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Could you read that last verse with me one more time in Korean or English? Ready, go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning to worship you. And in many ways, on Sunday morning, what brings different cultures, different generations together uh, at 10 o'clock than to worship you? So we thank you for this gift. We thank you that we could exhibit who you are through the diversity of our cultures and ethnicities as well as our cult generations. But help us, Lord God, because we struggle with reconciling all these things. We want to make you look beautiful. We want to model and be a witness to your kingdom. Guide us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and your word.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's have a little fun. So generations are very different, and right now there are five generations in your corporations and at least in your church. So first generation is called the Great Generation, and they're people born before 1945. And they are those that have been impacted by World War I and II. Um, they, they saw the beginnings of rock and roll. They introduced nuclear technology. And they were the generation that defined the roles. You're a man, you work. You're a woman, you stay home and vacuum. That was the great generation and take care of the kids. That's a statistical thing. That's not my thing. That's just a statistical thing. So just curious, raise your hand if you're from the great generation. If you're not too, look around. Okay. Then we have the boomers. The boomers were born 1945 to 1965, and they saw the moon landing, the beginning of the Cold War, the swinging 60s, disco, <laughs> Woodstock, the Kennedy assassination, and they were very family-oriented, and they were about, they were entitled. They were like, the World War War II was for me, for my protection, my safety, so when I grew up, the world is, revolves around me. Uh, so that's a generalization, but how many of you are from the boomers generation? Here we go. So we have the Gen X. They're born 1965 to 1980. Uh, saw the Berlin Wall fall down, the beginning of technology rising, cell phones, internet, computers. They witnessed, they were the, they were the side effect, collateral damage of a rising divorce rate. So we were the boob tube generation. Remember MTV? Remember that? When it first came out? I love rock and roll. And then cable TV. Uh, you've heard the saying, latchkey kid. And so we grew up in that. So how many of you are Gen X? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Some of you raise your hand for two. What, what is that? You can't be born twice. Okay. Well, actually, I, yeah, you can. Wow. Well, that's a whole separate sermon. Thank goodness we're at a Christian church. All right, Gen Y, born 1980 to 1995, they witnessed as children 9-11. They saw the explosion of technology, social media, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, um, Tumblr, reality TV, YouTube, Google Earth, and cell phones was their generation. And they had access to all of this, and they don't have privacy. Wherever they go, they're out in the public. They're seen. You know, there was a time when you go to school, the bullies would leave you alone when you go home. Now you go home and they follow you on Instagram and social media. So it's a whole different generation. So Gen Y, 1980, 1995, can you raise your hand? This is fascinating. And Gen Z, these are the ones born 1995 to present. We don't know anything about them. We're just scared. <laughs> We're just looking at them going, what are you going to turn out to be? But they're our children. Uh, can you raise your hand? Little... All right, there they are. <laughs> Alexia, can you raise your hand? That little baby back there. There she is. So, just for a moment, look in this room. We got five generations, and there are more than five in each of those generations in this very room. So if I were to ask you, hey, what do you want to go eat? And we had to all decide together. How many of you think we could decide within the hour? <laughs> so these are very different. So they, they, they're different. They dress different. Uh, boomers and gray, they said, you were a tie to work. And the boomers started saying, I don't like it, but I have to. Gen X, we started saying, it makes me choke. 
it's crimped my style. So we started introducing casual Fridays. Um, we also have different values it's from a book, Sticky Points, Sticking Points. The author writes this, there was a study done in 1924, and they asked parents, what are your top priorities for your children? And these are the three things they said, to be good church members, religious, and obedient. That was 1924. What are the top three things you want for your kids? Religious, go to church, are good church members, and obedient. 1999, they did the same study, mimicked it, and these are the top two qualities that parents said for their children. I want them to learn tolerance and independent thinking. And in some ways, they got what they asked for. Kids really, independent thinking is good, but they threw away everything institutional, everything heritage. I like what I like. So the values shifted. So from that value, today millennials who are born in 1980s to 1995, they think three out of four millennials say, truth is whatever you make of it. Three out of four millennials will say, truth is whatever you feel is right. So, I mean, that's fascinating and different. So Jesus is not true if to you. If Jesus is true to you, then it's good. If it's not, then that's also true. Now you see, see the problem. The problem is Jesus is either true or he's not true. He's not subjective. So this happens in business, in religion, in everything. Vision's different. So in older generation, the vision is this. Loyalty to country, company, and community. I was born in this church, and I was dying in this church. I worked at AT&T for 40 years. Young people, I'll work and stay wherever makes me happy. If the work doesn't make me happy, I'm out of here. So average job change for boomers was about four to seven. Millennials, they're saying it's over 30 in their lifetime. So we, research found out that 21st century America, highest good is found in private self-fulfillment. The highest good is your personal fulfillment. Research, 90% said that, and collective self-sacrifice. So, whew, church is hard, life is hard. When you have Thanksgiving with your kids, and you're wondering, you know, Thanksgiving, there was a picture of Norman Rockwell, everybody's around the turkey, everyone's like, there's a 2016 version of Thanksgiving, real picture, everyone's around the turkey, and what are they doing? Thanks, Grandma. And so we live in a different world. So what is that? How do we navigate? What does God say about this? But before I go into that, in the Bible, this is nothing new. Generational differences and conflict, nothing new. Let me share three really quick. Eli was a prophet. He had sons. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli's sons were scoundrels. That's what the Bible says. They had no regard for the Lord. God is your God, Dad. He's not my God. His sons, however, did not listen to the Father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. We're going to do it our way. You're religious? That's your God. We're going to do it our way. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam became king. And they said, what should we do, king? You're the new king. Would you be easy on us? 1 Kings 12, verse 8 through 11. This is what Rehoboam does. He goes to his friends and say, I'm king now. What should we do? 
Wise people said, listen to your father. Be good. Model after him. He was a godly man. Not perfect, but godly man. This is what Rehoboam's buddies said to him. The young men who had grown up with him replied, Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. You want to know? I am better than my dad. Generational conflict? Some of you are facing that? Your children? Third, Elisha and local kids. This one's one of my, this one's kind of not funny, but to me it's funny. Uh, Second Kings chapter 2, Elisha became the prophet, and he's walking up, and this is what happens. Verse 23, English Standard Version has it funnier. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys, little children, came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Wow. So the prophet, man of God, I'm not sure if you know this. This is not what we teach in the Bible study at preschool. Called upon bears, and they came and mauled the little children. That's in your Bible. Read it. It's hilariously, and it's cool, and it's exciting, but it's fascinating because they defamed the man of God. And so we see this generation of problems. And so, wow, what do we see that it's not new. Uh, just to sh- ask you, how many of you stress with generational differences between your parents and you or you and your children? Just raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right, not that many. It's good. And so there's always these differences, and it comes out, by the way, when you do weddings. When you get married and your mom's values and your dad's values comes in, it gets fun. So anyway, cross-culturally, I found out through research, Asians, African-Americans, Hispanic, Caucasians, and all people are experiencing the generational gap exactly the same way. There's more different similarities between uh, intercultural than intergenerational. So in 2009, I went to Indonesia with a, four of our elders. We drove 10 hours into an island. There is a cafe with internet in the middle of a jungle. There's five computers in there. Four of them are being used for Facebook in Indonesia, Sulawesi Island. I was amazed. And then I said, let me check my status. (laughs) So, So we see... Our intergenerational differences is actually even greater than our, sometimes our intercultural differences. And so how have we tried to address it? And so there's this book that did the study for me, and he said we did four things to try to address. Why are we so different? John Phipps and I, he's a boomer, I'm a Gen X. How do we try to get along? So we did four things. You ready? One, we just try to ignore each other. (laughs) Have you heard this? I don't want to go to church with my parents. I'm going to go to my own church. Or have you heard this? We just won't hire millennials. They're all self-centered or lazy. We're going to just hire our own. Now that's okay, but when you're 65 and you keep hiring your generation, it ain't going to go far. So they try to ignore each other too. They try to fix each other. The problem with you older people is you, you don't understand us. Let me try to fix you. Does that work? Never. The problem with you young people is you don't know work ethic. Let me teach you work ethic. Does that work? Almost never works. And also, if you try to fix each other, 
Do you remember the movie The Breakfast Club? The principal was trying to get his, these guys, one of my favorite movies, slackers. Does it work at the end? They become identified in their own culture even more. Three, we try to cut a deal. Hey, we'll compromise. We'll have this, because you like it, but we'll also have this. And that doesn't work. Why? Because in this room, how many generations do we have? Five. Cut a deal with five groups? Good luck. So it doesn't work. And so what he suggests is this, and this is a sociologist, but he says this is the best way, but tell me if this sounds familiar to anything you know as a Christian. Leaders, lead them. Lead one another. How? Leaders love their people. If we love people, we won't try to change them. We can only lead people if we quit trying to change them. And we can't quit trying to change them until we, say this with me, appreciate them. I didn't hear that. Appreciate them. <laughs> and we can't appreciate them until we understand them. Leadership starts with understanding. That's a secular book about generations. And I say, why does that sound so familiar? Because that's what the Word of God is teaching us. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 8, I want to just say, what do we just see? Can we scroll the slide? God's Word says what? Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What does he say? The writer of Hebrews is saying, you're going to have intergenerational conflict. And here's the answer. You ready? In that verse, let me break it down. If you go to the next slide. We change, the world changed, but we, God doesn't change. And so how do we take this truth to be our power? So verse 7, I want to break it down this way. He says, remember your leaders. What does that imply? First part, remember your leaders. It's saying, young people, honor your previous generation. These are not dead leaders. These are people who are still there. I consider in this room, half of you guys are in many ways my leaders. Yes, I'm the pastor, but some of you have been leaders to me. We honor you. We learn from you. And so young people, one of the things that we try to do is, I'm independent, let me figure it out myself. And that's good, but be sure to glean wisdom from your leaders, especially godly leaders. Because the second part is, these leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now that's for the older people. What does that imply? Older generation implies what? What is our role? Older generation, boomers and great, what is your role for the next generation? Teach what? American values? Part. But what is Hebrews writer saying? Teach them the word of God. Teach them Jesus Christ. Teach them that God is one and he is holy. Teach them that our lives have a purpose and a meaning and we're not accidents that came from one cell that evolved. That there is a design, that there is a purpose, there is an eternity. And so he's saying, teach them the word of God. So this older generation, you can't tell them to go to church. 
You need to live and teach the Word of God to them in a way that's real. Because they don't want to be committed to church. They want to be committed to something greater. And I agree with them. So, he says, who spoke the word of God to you? Older ones, teach the word of God to the younger generation. He goes on, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What's he saying to the younger generation? Look up to the generations who walk the walk, who look like Christ, and follow them. What are you hearing, by the way, in this? Generations, become your own church. Boomers, make your own church. Young people, make your own church. Is that what you're hearing? No. What are you hearing? We need each other. Further, the kingdom of God is a kingdom with generations that came together. So can I just, this is not in here, but can you just take a moment and look around? I am so thankful to each of you because I could bounce off, what was it like when you were growing up and you had to deal with blah, blah, blah? In this room, we have this wealth of information that God has given us. So the kingdom of God, the glimpse of it, is that when the generations have this harmony, we see it coming together. Let me share with you a few in the Bible. Ruth and Naomi. Who was Naomi to Ruth? Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. And Ruth says, my God will be your God, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, and Ruth follows Naomi. 그 며느리가 어머님을 따라가고 있어요, 장모를. Wow, that's incredible. And the second thing, Paul and Timothy's mentorship. Paul doesn't go, you little punk, let me show you how to live life. He lays his life down for Timothy, and Timothy looks up to Paul. And Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but model your faith. Moses and Jethro. Jethro was his father-in-law. Moses was crammed and and he was packed. And what does God do? Sends his father-in-law to mentor him and guide him. So churches today, this is exciting to me, that we could see a church with this diversity of cultures as well as generations. Each of you carry this. So how do we go forward then? That's great, Jason. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 says we all part of this generation. How do we go forward? I'm going to use this for now. Okay, so God is a God of all generations. And so first thing I want to say is I think this is what generations can do. We worship God well. Let's die. Yes, thank you. We worship God well. What unites us is a greater good of a God who saved us. Let me give you an example. Do you remember in 2009 there was a plane crash in Hudson River in New York? A bird hit a plane or a plane hit the bird. And Captain Sullivan, he landed the plane on the darn water. Do you think the people in the plane were going, I hope my hair is okay. Do I look good? Oh, I got to Facebook time this. I got to tweet this really quick. This is so cool. Do you think they were thinking about that? They were thinking about one thing. In that emergency, Captain, save us. We want to live. Guess what happened after that event? Even a year, two years, three years later, five years, they meet together as a reunion. 
and they go to Captain Sullivan and say, you're my hero. The worship unites us when we have something greater beyond ourselves that's the ultimate priority. Your job is not your priority. Your livelihood is not your priority. The God who gave you these things is. The one who saved you from sin is the God, the captain of your life, and he calls us to worship. And I don't care if you're 2 or 92, when there is a God we see as our Savior, what can we do? Worship. So coming together like this Sunday mornings, it's key and important for us to do, to proclaim. We're different. Marilyn and I don't have a lot in common. That's why she's teaching me so much. But we love worshiping God together despite that because our commonality is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we worship well, too. we got to pass off, hand off well. Older generation, the things we're trying to pass on are not important. And we have to know the difference between not important and important. For example, going to church, this is surprising, is not the priority. Their relationship with Jesus Christ and the authentic knowing of God is the priority, which will lead them into going to church. But we make it about the form. So the kids are saying, when I'm 18, I am not going to this church. You need to teach them a commitment not to the organization, but to the holy being that has called us to be this church. And so we got to pass off these things well, for better or worse. And how we live today is going to affect our generation. Right now, I'm not this big on like global warming thing, but I look at the world and I'm thinking, Darn, man. I, did you see the picture of the satellites in space? You know that movie, WALL-E? It's just a future of planet filled with satellites garbage. It actually looks like that. There are millions of garbage in space. And there's an island of garbage in Pacific Ocean that's the size of, they say, Rhode Island, of plastic swirling around. And I look at my daughters and son, Michelle, Jamie, and Ethan, I'm going, I'm leaving you in a good earth. And so earth-wise, but maybe more importantly, spiritual-wise, what am I leaving to them, really, other than make a lot of money and be happy? We got to pass on well, and we got to learn to, this is the most important one, ready? Receive well. Young people, older members have a lot to teach us. Because God has used them and walked with them in their journey. We need to have the humility to learn from this. And I learned this from David, King David. Uh, he was going to be the king. He knew that. And Saul was trying to kill him because he knew that David was going to be king and everyone liked David. One of my favorite stories, uh, one day, Saul is going to the bathroom in 1 Samuel 24. He goes into a cave, and David and his men are hiding behind a rock inside the cave. And Saul is by himself. Just... How much more vulnerable can a man be when he's peeing? <laughs> so David's men said, let's go kill him. This is a day that God has given you. And David says this. The Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David knew he was going to be king, but he humbly said, I can't do it to him. 
the timing is not right. Young people, we want to take over this world. Is it God's timing or is it your ambition? Is it God's leading or is it just your selfishness? And so we have to have this humility to also lead and follow and learn well. And so I want to end with this illustration. Um, John Phipps, come on up. And uh, Kaylin, come on down. So I want to show you this picture. So pass the baton. John carries a baton everywhere he goes. John has his baton. Okay, so John, you're going to be facing that way. So this is what I see in church. Boomers and great people are like these young people. They just want to play golf and fish. They don't want to come to church. I wish they'd get more involved. And so I got this baton. And so the young people are like thinking, why does he always take control? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. That's not how you get my people. I wish he would give the baton. So John is thinking this, and he's passing the baton. And then at this moment, he's about to say, Kaylin, take it. And then this is what happens. John goes, but I'm not ready to let it go. I'm not sure if I want to give it up yet. So he kind of goes, eh. Kaylin goes, give it to me. I'm ready to go. And then as she sees John doing this, she goes, I got life. I have things to do. I'm not sure if I want this responsibility. This is what's going on in church right now. Young people are going, these old people, they don't know what they're doing. They need to, I know Jesus, it's all about Christ, and I want to take over. And, and then when the old people say, take it, they go, uh, not yet. I got a job and kids. I want to go on a vacation to Hawaii first. And John's getting tired, and he's like, I wish they would take it. And then when Caitlin starts taking it, John goes, boy, I, I, I don't want to lose my power and control. This is what's going on generation to generation. So how do we change that? Here's the key. 2 Timothy 1, Paul says, what have you heard from me? What you heard from me, keep it as a pattern of sound teaching. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guarded with the help of the Holy Spirit. What is a good deposit? We need to look at this baton differently. This baton is not church work. Can you say that? This baton is not church work. What is this good baton? It's the good deposit that Paul gave to Timothy. Can somebody tell me what is the good deposit? Jesus Christ. Your commitment, Kaylin, wherever you go, is Jesus Christ. Don't ever let him go. He loves you. He died for you. He saved you. Pass this on to your next generation and live for him. Glorify him. Serve him. So we pass that on in this way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Generation to generation, the uniting factor is Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we have to do well in church is not pass on things. We have to pass on him, Jesus Christ. And that is how generation changes. But the word of God and Jesus Christ never changes. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, you are why we're here. You're the reason we're even alive. 
Even if people don't acknowledge you, they may not realize it, but you're the reason why they exist. And we are here because of your incredible mercy for sinners like us who you called and sanctified and redeemed for your pleasure by giving yourself on the cross to die and rise again. Lord Jesus, may that be the treasure we hold to. Not a program, not even the local church's name, but may it be Jesus that we pass on because that's the name above all names that heals and that saves generation to generation to generation. And we may be different, but you stay the same. May you be our rock. May you be our hope. May you be the power and the means and the purpose and the reason for our being. For you are worthy of all these things. We pray these things. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ.